There's a phrase, innovate or die. People are going to have to make some of these leaps, whether or not they're ready for them. Because the answer is, if not, the people who are able to do it will have the sustainable workforces and the other people will not. Are nurses going to go to a place where they have support or are they going to go to a place who is not able to support them? That was Roberta Schwartz, Executive Vice President and Chief Innovation Officer at Houston Methodist, talking about the need for health systems to embrace technology as they reshape their workforces. In this podcast with Oliver Wyman's Tom Robinson, Schwartz details how the health system's flagship hospital in Houston is deploying innovative technology solutions to deal with staffing shortages and help clinicians stay focused on patient care at the bedside. For instance, the hospital is using a centralized team of nurses to do patient intake and conduct discharge instructions remotely, which is giving bedside nurses much more time for direct patient care. The hospital is also using artificial intelligence and mapping tools to make more efficient use of staffing resources. This special Oliver Wyman Health podcast was recorded as part of the Oliver Wyman Health Innovation Journal. This year's journal examines the new norms and new expectations that are reshaping the healthcare industry. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. For more insights on the business of transforming healthcare, visit our online publication, health.oliverwyman.com. Hello, Roberta. It's good to see you again. You've been doing some really interesting things when it comes to workforce and technology and the combination of the two. And we really want to get into that today and explore some of those issues. Maybe just as a little gentle introduction, could you just tell us the situation that you were facing and why you were starting to explore some of these issues related to workforce and technology? So Houston Methodist, we um, we have this long history of innovation that dates back to Dr. DeBakey, but had been exploring in various areas, digital technology, and then probably about four years ago, made a very strong commitment to a center for innovation. But our center for innovation here is a very strong mixture of IT and operational individuals. So in our Center for Innovation, it's not separated from operations. So our operators from HR, from hospitals, from various levels of corporate finance, revenue cycle, all are sitting around the table with our IT folks. So when workforce and workforce issues started to bubble up, it was immediately felt within the innovation sphere. We basically said, what is in our toolkit already? And what is it that we need to add to our toolkit in the Center for Innovation that will help with the challenges that we're having in the workforce? And so tell me about some of those things you've started to add. You know, I think that, um, let me give some examples of where we're using our current toolkit, and then let me talk about kind of some of the new things that we're looking to add. So one of the things I would tell you that we started four years, oh gosh, probably four years, or at least three years before COVID hit, was beginning to plan for a virtual ICU. This is not rocket science, but we probably did it 
for a reason that is the same thing that we're facing now, which is I needed a sustainable workforce. We were struggling with turnover of our intensivist crew, of our nurse practitioners, of not having that sustainable workforce who was not constantly saying, I'm burned out, I'm exhausted, this is what I need to do. And part of it is that if you ask your doctors to basically stay up really every other week for three to four nights at a time, and then switch to days and then switch back to nights, you don't really have happy people, that I can promise you. Anybody who um, has been a new parent can tell you that a level of sheer exhaustion happens when you don't sleep. And I think that's what we were facing. Everyone wasn't equally as excited about turning to a virtual ICU because the answer was, well, it's not as good as having the same five people on all the time, 24 seven in your ICU. And there's something to be said for that. But what we needed was a sustainable solution where we didn't have that turnover. Before we leave the virtual ICU, many people, I deal with this all the time, people start saying, well, is the quality really there? Do we really get everything that we need to get as though if we had full physical presence? What, what do you say to them? So when we started, my comment to everybody was I needed a sustainable solution that had equal levels of quality. Even if I did the same quality and had a sustainable solution, I would have felt good. Now, I can tell you, after kind of a couple of years of doing this, we've seen a 20% reduction in our code blues in the ICU and increases and improvements in other levels of quality. We're watching APGAR scores more closely. We're watching what's happening with the patients. We have a whole different second set of eyes on these patients than we had yesterday. So now we're starting to see, not only do we have a sustainability, but we're starting to see improvements in that quality, which is really, it's great to see. And I will tell you, for somebody who took an awful lot of hits from those arrows um, that were pointed at me during that implementation. The noise is all gone. It's part of our way of doing business. And there is a beauty to that in supporting our residents, our medical students, our nursing, our physicians. Everyone is kind of getting supported by this blanket of support, which is really quite wonderful. And what, what's your advice? How did you push through on that? Goodness, um, part of it is recognizing that a cultural change is painful. It's a tendency for everybody to live with inertia and not to change from where we are today. But we have no choice. And I think that the answer was, if you have a different option, bring it to the table. Because the options that we have today are not just to pay more that honestly, it may solve it for 10 minutes. But when someone's completely exhausted, there's only so much money that you can throw at the table that will ask somebody to sustain that in any long-term period. I don't think you could sustain a complete level of exhaustion without basically going neurotic. Without some errors as well. Tell us about nursing then. So now here we are, we're in that same situation in our nursing. 
same story, right? Different tune. Um, and we're facing that same thing. So the question really comes down to how do I create a sustainable nursing model? We have half a million nurses short in the United States. So if I get mine filled, all that means is that somebody else is short. We're just going to pass them around until we get enough. And again, we've concentrated, everyone's concentrated on a number. Oh, the best is a one to four, a one to two, a one to one. You know, oh, I can't run that way, so I'll go one to six. And these numbers you're talking about, Roberta, these are optimal staffing ratios. They're regulatory staffing ratios. How would you talk about them? Yeah, so um, they're as best as people have been able to do. They have said this is the correct number of staff and hours that each one of these patients needs. So if you take a 24-hour period and you divide by four nurses, that means each one of the patients is basically getting about six hours of care per day. That's kind of how you divide a nursing staffing ratio. And you look at that level. So if you're doing one to two, that means each one of those patients in an ICU probably needs about 12 hours of care. But when you really do a time study, when you really go down to it, what we've created in our society in America is an awful lot of paperwork. And so even that nurse who is up on that floor taking care of the patient is spending 50% of her time doing paperwork. So instead of spending six hours with each one of the patients, she is spending three hours with the patient. So one of the ways of creating a sustainable workforce is how do we lessen that three hours at the bedside, right? So lots of people are going at it in lots of innovative ways. And I give everyone credit for really trying. There are people trying to work on voice solutions, you know, Nuance, for example, working on voice solutions for nursing at the bedside and trying to switch that off of where we are into a voice. Well, that just switches the way we do the documentation. It doesn't necessarily still take it away. It might improve it. We tried scribes. Um, I will tell you, not with enormous success in the nursing areas, as opposed to maybe our emergency room doctors. One, because the things that they're documenting all kind of happen at the same time. Unless you had equal numbers of scribes to nurses, you're not going to be able to um, do that. So what we found is that actually... If we created a team of what we call telenurses, they could beam into the room and take those things that have the longest amount of time a nursing spends. Sometimes that's the initial assessment when a patient arrives and the discharge when the patient goes. And what these experts have been able to do is become exceedingly efficient on doing that longer documentation. So what takes a nurse at the bedside 40 minutes our telenurse can do in roughly 10 minutes. It takes them anywhere from nine to 11 minutes. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why can't the bedside nurse do it in 10 minutes? And the answer is the bedside nurse is getting interrupted by a call from the room next door. They're getting pulled out of the room because someone's in pain or someone's IV is beeping. And that multitasking that doesn't allow for that moment of focus that just says from start to finish, I have a job and that's to give you a discharge plan. Go over all the education with you and your family, call a doctor if it's needed, 
and call the transportation to get you basically departed. I mean, a lot of times a nurse will literally walk out of a room and forget that they're supposed to put in the order to call transportation. I mean, no one's fault. It's just that, honestly, they're rushing to the next task. And so what we found is that we can make that process much more efficient with a team of telenurses. Now, I will tell you, right now, they're just doing admission and discharge. But we are able to kind of spread that in a way which has taken the pressure off of our bedside nurses. They feel so much more relaxed in areas where we have high turnover. And our telenurses are exceedingly satisfied, as are our patients, with the interactions that they're having. And where are these nurses physically? Are they centralized somewhere? Right now they're centralized, but that may just be temporary. We may be able to have these, again, wherever in the world they want to live. Again, not yet. We're, we're still in a learning phase. So they're in our, our virtual command center. But after we get better at this, there's nothing to say that we can't have this in multiple locations and certainly multiple locations around our system so that they can drive most easily to a virtual command center in multiple places. And are you hoping that's going to improve your ability to hire as well? We are finding that a lot of nurses who felt like they were done at the bedside and felt like they just weren't ready to do bedside care are ready to come back to a virtual setting. So we are driving a lot of nurses who are on that verge of retirement to kind of stick it out a few more years to work in a virtual command center. Their body may not be able to physically do things, but their mind still can. And we're finding a lot of that is driving people back into the workforce, which is amazing. Yes, yeah, so you're expanding the pool and you're making it more efficient as well, overall increasing the capacity of the system. Absolutely. And the bedside nurses, when we look at them, are reporting that now when they have a one to five ratio at the bedside, it's exceedingly doable, whereas months ago it was not. When we look at that, we say, okay, what else is there? If you're a new nurse, you need sometimes a teleproctor. These are experienced nurses. They can beam into the room to basically help you on a teleproctoring front. When you look at um, nurses often have to pull a second nurse in from the hallway to do a double check on a blood product or something else, having to yank them from their patients. We're looking at nurses who are having to follow their patients down and sit down in MRI to watch the patients and sit there for an hour, leaving their other patients up with a different nurse up on the floor. So now we're looking at how we can monitor those patients through a telenursing way. Again, once you get that creativity going and you say, can we do these things differently? If we break the mold and start to look at the issues differently than we did before and stop getting as obsessed by numbers, but look at what we call care redesign and think about the problems differently, you start to get a momentum running. And when we look at a combination of voice and of telenursing, and let me throw another one in there, which is ambient intelligence. And I think ambient intelligence may allow us to leapfrog even over having humans in that intermediate. Tell us what you mean by ambient intelligence. Ambient intelligence takes 
a video of what's happening in the room and maps it to artificial intelligence. So the easiest one for me to describe, right, is saying we can have a heat map of what's happening in the room. We now know that someone has gone to the bathroom. That can alert my PCA that that person is now wet and needs to be changed. I do not need to have a call from the patient to the desk and from the desk to the PCA and from the nurse to the PCA to get the stuff to go into the room. I no longer have to have six in and outs for a PCA to get alerted that that patient has now urinated. Let me take another example, which I've given in many cases to our nurses. We in healthcare have two ways we do things, which is we educate everyone and we educate nobody. So if I'm gonna basically say that we have an issue on our central lines, we have to take 100% of the floor and we put 100% of you back through training. That's what we do when we have an issue. Well, if I basically can have the artificial intelligence tell me that you, Tom, you know, you, Matt, you, Jane, have done it correctly, but me, Roberta, I have not done it correctly, right? We can map what you're supposed to do against what you're doing. Three of you do not have to waste your time in training. And my trainer can concentrate on the one person who's not doing it correctly. So that targeting sounds hugely helpful. And if you take all of those innovations together, not to be one of these people that's overly driven by the numbers, but have you thought the overall impact that you could have on productivity? We have. Um, if we maximize these technologies to what they have available today, you're really talking orders of magnitude of a 5% cost reduction. I mean, they're big numbers. But again, we have to take this technology from where it is today, which is in its infancy, and maximize it and really say, we're going to change, again, that change management portion of changing the way we do the care and traditionally thought to a new sustainable way of doing things. And then we need the innovators to keep helping us um, drive. Let me give a different example. There are new machines coming out, new ventilation machines that do allow from a centralized location to change the vent settings. So now I can have a respiratory care therapist they're in short supply. It's hard to find them. Now, making the changes for an 800-bed hospital or 3,000-bed system right from a central location. You are looking at now being able to say, I can staff at a different level and make individuals really happy and comfortable with the jobs that they've got rather than I'm constantly stretched. Wow. I remember Sean Lane talking to us. He's the CEO of Olive, talking to us about taking the robot out of the human. I feel like that's a lot of what you're trying to do, taking those repetitive tasks and alleviating them from the day-to-day -day work of people in the hospital environment. In the initial stages, what we're trying to do is reduce documentation, take those things that are documentation and figure out how to better do them. The second part of it is really looking at how we can make those patients, people more efficient. We have people running up and down. If you look at number of step counts, I mean, you're talking nurses who have 20,000 steps per day. 
they're running back and forth across in out supply room. Oh, wait, let me go in the room. Let me find out what they need. Let me run out of the room. Let me go. Wait, hold on. I got to put that in the computer, right? You're trying to take it so that you take people and make them more efficient. Those respiratory therapists can run to 16 different floors in a shift. That's crazy if I can have them only go to the two or three they need to physically go to and the rest of it done remotely. There's a common theme here, isn't there, as you look across the virtual ICU, the ambient technology you were describing. Last time we were talking about bio buttons. We should touch on them as well. The common theme is more things being automated, more things being done remote, more eyes outside of the hospital looking inside. What's been the reaction to that? And what's been the resistance? I could imagine very much a a sense of this is Big Brother coming to tell us how to do our jobs. I will tell you, I remember um, when I went up to NYU and I was sitting at NYU and having a discussion with the staff up there and they had just put cameras in all of their operating rooms to look at the quality of care and, and kind of the way people were doing things. And I remember my eyes got huge and wide. And I was like, how did you do that? Oh my gosh. And when we put in cameras in each one of our ICU rooms, it was this moment, you're not allowed to do that. I mean, you can't, what are you doing? I mean, are people going to watch? And and when we put Alexis into every room, same thing. Well, people need to be able to remove them because I mean, they're listening. And I was trying to figure out what they were listening to. Because in my household, I keep saying, if Alexa's listening, she must be completely bored. It's not that exciting in my household. And we're now basically starting to wire every single room for cameras. And the answer is, this is the way that business will be done. I'm pretty convinced business will be done this way in the future. And that every future hospital will start to be wired with cameras and listening equipment so that we can do better voice technology and better voice systems. Well, in the speed that you're innovating and the speed that you're disseminating, because I think that's another one of the strengths that you bring, the competition is going to be at a serious disadvantage if they don't start embracing these technologies. I think people are going to have no choice. This is our future world. There's a point of if we're going to have to right now survive and thrive on less people in the healthcare workforce than we all need and in an ability to reduce costs and serve rural communities that are having trouble basically getting people in and serve lots of different places. I mean, I want to better be able to help rural communities and nursing homes and dive into places to not have to send people back to the hospital, serve people better at home so they can be in their home environment yet link them to healthcare, that's our future. Our future is not what we're doing right now. Our future will be different. When you look at the vast array of innovations, all these different shiny objects, how are you assessing what's going to work? What am I going to actually bet on? You know, it's a really great question. In many cases, these technologies are Venn diagrammed over each other. There are 50 different ways that you can do remote monitoring. I can remote monitor everything from my left foot to my blood pressure to my pulse ox. I mean, I can remote monitor almost everything individually. Very few places where you can put those all together. 
the third part of it and that third leg of the stool is can you make it affordable right can you get these things to affordability um integrated and affordable and I think that that's somewhere where those shiny objects come into play. So if you're talking to one of my endocrinology doctors, they are super excited about glucose monitoring. Super exciting, love it, not affordable yet, and not affordable for everybody. You know, when you look at, you mentioned it, bio buttons, I think bio buttons, which now do most of the major vital signs within the next year, will do all major vital signs, both in the hospital and then sending them home. I give it a few more years to hit all of its maturity. You'll have both integrated and affordable on bio buttons. And these are little, you know, inch diameter stick on things that will will monitor your vitals, take various biometrics. Correct. Um, they're about one inch by one inch by about a half an inch, and they go on with a sticker. There are a few different ones that look different by the different companies, but each of these basically go on. And I mean, to a certain extent, number one, I no longer have to wake patients up at night. I can monitor 300 patients and their vital signs, do their vital signs at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., and basically not wake them up until the next morning unless I have to do lab work. So what does that do? That frees up our nursing assistant workforce, our, and here they're called patient care assistants, our PCA workforce, to both help out with nursing tasks, learn to become phlebotomists and take that off our nursing plates. They can help with some of that documentation and other tasks that need to get done. And we can look at our nursing to say, is there anything else we can move onto this other workforce and off of your plates, therefore freeing up more time from our nurses. So it's amazing when you start to look at different technologies that are out there that can integrate in together, then it's kind of beautiful. There's this you know, pattern of looking and saying, what can I eliminate? What can I automate? What can I push into an area that was better placed to do the work and focus? It's a strategic way of looking through all the aspects of hospital operations and saying, where can we drive better performance? Roberta, tell me, where do you see it going? What do you see as the future here? When you look at the care, it's going to get redesigned within the hospital. It's also going to move to other levels of care and be monitored from these centralized hubs. In some places in the country, they already they kind of started more remotely and are moving it into the inpatient environment. We're starting more inpatient environment and we'll move it to home. But there is going to be a more seamless integration of information and clinical information. And I mean, not just, hey, tell me how she's doing, but what are the actual vitals? What is actually happening in real time? So that I can, um, and I, I loved uh, someone brought forward, some of the companies are starting to make smart implants. I, I nearly fell off my chair, right? Smart implants. Oh, I don't need to ask you how far you walk. My implant will tell me how far you walked, right? You know, my watch is going to tell you that I fell um, and call 911 for me. You're going to now be able to do that on more clinical metrics than you've ever been able to do before and have that linked to the same hospital and doctors where you receive your care. So there'll be this seamless passing of information. And, and I think that is will allow us to try to coach people where they are before they have to come to us. 
So you'll see a consolidation in the industry. I mean, you're always going to need hospitals. We're not going to do surgery at home. That's that's not going to happen. I hope in my lifetime, I'm not ready for that. Um, and an ICU level of care is not likely to happen in your bedroom. Um, but when we can, we'll be able to move people home safely, but keep a really, it's, it's like I'm home with a tethered leash until I'm ready to let go of it. And, and I think we'll be able to do that more and more. One of the challenges that we have is that we've got this incredibly aging infrastructure. We've got these hospital and provider systems in general under the gun. They're, they're struggling to survive financially. How are they going to be able to plug in the type of innovations that you're talking about? How does that work? There's a phrase, innovate or die. People are going to have to make some of these leaps, whether or not they're ready for them. Because the answer is, if not, the people who are able to do it will have the sustainable workforces and the other people will not. Are nurses going to go to a place where they have support or are they going to go to a place who is not able to support them? They're going to go somewhere where they've got that level of backup, where they don't feel like their license is in jeopardy because they're not doing a good job. And the advantage that places have when they look and they think about how to redesign themselves for a sustainable sustainable workforce. Thank you, Roberta. That in it will end on uh, innovate or die, I think. Um, thank you very much for your time here. I think it was absolutely fascinating on the combination of the workforce, technology, and how we can actually solve some problems systemically. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global consulting management firm, Oliver Wyman. For more insights on the business of transforming healthcare, visit our online publication, health.oliverwyman.com.